0: Welcome to this episode of Spiritual Hustle. I'm Anthony Filipovich, and along with co-host Justin Spinsky, we're happy to welcome Ari Meyer to the show this week. Ari is a Java architect, uh, a bitter aging programmer discussing with the state of the world during the day, but at night, lord of the universe and destroyer of worlds. Ari, welcome <laughs> to the show. Well. <laughs> and all that's true, give, you know that.
1: Give, give me a wide range for an
0: intro. and give you everything.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, full disclosure: Anthony and I go way back. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Ari, one thing that um, I thought we would lo- want to start uh, on is finding a spiritual teacher. Like, wh- how do you think one goes about finding a spiritual teacher? And then, as part of that, maybe elaborate on um, whether, in this day and age, you think. Uh, you think that someone who's looking to evolve spiritually and towards enlightenment, whatever that means for different people, whether they actually need a spiritual teacher. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Sure. Um, I think that uh, first, I I kind of take the kind of second question first in a way. I don't think a spiritual teacher is necessary um, in any age, really. Um, I've, I've kind of, I've, I've kind of doped things out over the last 20 years of this practice. And um, it's something that's extremely personal. And I think that you will determine whether you need a spiritual teacher at a certain point in time. And that and that determination can change over time. You may find that uh, you, you want to start with a teacher up front. And that... You know, that may be your typical bent. Like you, uh, you're, you may be not the self taught type and you want to go uh, take classes at a community college or something like that, just on the side or same kind of thing. um, It was interesting. I I was comparing how um, my wife and I learn differently. And I don't find I learn well at all from videos and so forth where it's presented to me. I find I learn much better by being given a book and going through the material myself and kind of typically skimming through to the find that the key parts that I'm interested in that help that are relevant to me. Um, So I don't, I kind of tend to get impatient with material that's presented to me a lot of times, whereas she learns much, much better from videos and audio um, presented and lecture format Mm -hmm. instruction. Um, so everybody learns differently and it's the same thing with spirituality is that we all come to it from different points of view. And, um, you know, a lot of people, the traditional model is you, you find a teacher somehow and, um, and you study with that teacher. And the typical thing is that you advance to the point where, um, the teacher gives you some kind of certi- certification <laughs> of some sort. And maybe, maybe at that point, you've hit the limit of where that teacher can teach you, or you determine at some point that you've, you've hit that limit and that you need to move on. And then you go find another teacher and so forth. Um, and uh, so a lot of people tend to tend to have traditionally gone that route. Now, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting time, mm-hmm. Um, in that now, you know, people, there's so much, so many different teachers who made their material and their teachings available on YouTube or through some other online medium. And so a lot of people will now be able to kind of do this smorgasbord approach where they just kind of adopt a little bit of this and they say, Oh, I like what this teacher is saying. And then I like what this other person is saying in this case. And, you know, this aspect and you kind of bring it all together kind of buffet style. Um, some people say that doesn't work very well. Um, but I think it's it's something that your own being, you can feel whether it's working for you or not. Um, by your in, in a way, your your level of mind state, how happy you are with your your current situation, et cetera. So if you find that you know you go down that route where it's very much uh, you are Uh, looking at, you know, kind of sampling different, different uh, cuisines in a way of teaching. And you find that, you know, for maybe for a while, you really, you really dig this one cuisine and then um, you've kind of saturated yourself with it and then you move on to something else. And, you know, that's, that's certainly one way. Um, But I think, you know, throughout this whole process, it's self-honesty is the most important thing. And that you be honest with yourself about, you know, do I really feel like I'm happy with myself? I think that's one of the lit, the kind of the key litmus test that my first teacher, Rama, Dr. Frederick Lenz, taught. That was that was really it. If you if you find you're not feeling happy with yourself for any reason, and and you know you've really and you have to be honest with yourself about your engagement with that practice and with that teacher and teaching, you know, are you really doing what that teacher teaching is all about? Are you really following that practice to the end of degree? If you're not, you can't say anything conclusively, but if you are, and it's not working for you anymore, or you feel like you're fighting against the, the teaching or the teacher and, yeah, you know, um, you're arguing with them. I mean, I've had all this stuff. <laughs> 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 I know where it goes. Um, then maybe, you know, maybe you have hit a limit and maybe you need to find something else for a while and maybe you'll come back to that teaching after a while and maybe it will be relevant. To you do but do you think that's, um,
0: that's generally, uh, what you should use for guidance in your life? Like, if you're happy with yourself or you feel happy in your life and your, your, is, 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 you you're is it use that as a guidepost that you in regards to spirituality that you're doing the right thing for yourself? Is that the
1: ultimate indicator? I think it's a pretty good indicator depending upon how you define happiness. Right. You know, if, if it's just, you're feeling like, uh, you know, some, aspect of yourself is, uh, satisfied with, you know, some, uh, some nice words or something. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, you know, just satisfying some intellectual curiosity. That's definitely not what it's about. Um, it's more about your contentment, you know, because that says, you know, where you are, uh, within yourself on this path at this moment in time you know, if you're really feeling like you're kind of in the zone and, you know, things are just flowing well, it doesn't mean necessarily that everything's going well in your life, uh, you know, materially or any, in any way like that. You know, you know, the whole house could be falling down in your world. Uh, but if you really feel like you're centered and you're um, at peace with yourself at this point in time, I think that's a pretty good guidepost um, to go by because otherwise if it's, if it's about, you know, um, Oh, this teaching sounds really, really good. Like it's the ultimate teaching, um, from my, from my limited understanding and then, okay. Uh, the teacher says that, you know, there are these stages and then I feel like I'm here and, um, and then, uh, I really need to get to here. Well, it really, there's something, in yourself that will tell you whether that mirrors what your own being needs to experience, you know? Um, but again, you know, it's, it's really self-honesty is the key, you know, uh, lying to yourself that something's working when it's not, you know, same way lying to yourself about a relationship that you, you lie to yourself that it's working when it's not, or anything that a job, a career, um, and none of those things will get you very far. And in the end, you know, that's disaster, you know, waiting to happen right there. So spirituality, I think in in that sense is no different. Um, As long as you're honest with yourself, I I, I think you can't go too wrong. Um, The times I've really gotten into trouble on the path are when I have stuck with something way too long and, um, you know, kind of forced myself to, uh, go through something because I thought that I really needed to to pursue it to the end to the end um, You know and kind of my persistent Mentality that you know, I have to take it everything to the end um, I've gotten uh, you know had some real flame outs because of those types of things so You kind of learn that along the path too. same thing with spirituality so, I mean, you, you raise a good point. When it comes to spirituality or anything,
0: um, you, you need to know when you've gotten enough out of that teaching, right? You can't hang on for other reasons. Um, mm-hmm. like if you're there for the spirituality and, it's not, and you're not growing anymore, you need to go somewhere else, right? And, sure. But, but sometimes the teachings also push you and make you uncomfortable, right? Right. Right. And, and sometimes it's difficult to tell one from the one scenario from the other scenario. Have you found
1: that? Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. Um, that, um, you know, I think that we have in, you know, this society in particular, you know, this American kind of materialistic society, we have, we've adopted this position that I'm going to do what's, least uncomfortable for me right and i'm going to call that my path you know uh you know what doesn't make me feel uh taxed or um you know it's drudgery or or whatnot um and that certainly is not anything to do with the path i think that um that your self-honesty about where you are is all about um, how you really feel about yourself at, at this point in time. Um, but I, I think you raise a very good point that a lot of times a teacher will push you beyond your comfort zones Many times. and that's part of their job in a way, you know, cause they're trying to move you beyond where you are. Um, that shouldn't be a problem. Because and, and yes, you, you might get in very uncomfortable situations. You might be forced to do things that, or or, or you know, the teacher might say, "Go do this." You know, uh, I remember my first teacher. You know, proposed uh, you know doing sales, and <laughs> I was like, I don't come from that background at all, and it didn't turn out great. Um, but that wasn't the point. The point was to get you to, to move beyond your comfort zone and just experience something else, right? I mean, if we're always staying within our comfort zones, then we're really not growing. Um, you may grow within a certain band, but you're not really making these huge leaps, uh, outside of yourself in a way, you know, even on a physical level. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's always good to get pushed, um, it's it's still even when you get pushed outside of your comfort zone though there's still a part of you that if it's really working for you you feel wow you know I really feel good about this experience right. you know right. yes it's pain it may be painful it, it, uncomfortable it's not what I'm used to doing I would never think to do this on my own but it feels re- there's some part of you that's feeling really. Good about this whole experience you're going through. It's no just, just how unpleasant it is,
0: right? It, it's kind of like if, if you do something that's scary that you would never usually do, like jump out and yeah. plane with a parachute, and yeah. you actually do it, it's, it's euphoric, right? Yeah, so, right. So that's a distinguishing factor. Whereas if you stay with a teacher longer, it's it's just it's a flat energy, right? So it's, it is very different. You're right. Uh, thanks for highlighting that. That really makes sense. Um, what a teacher does give you, and th- what I had when I had a teacher is they can do um, transmit energy to you, so, so that you can so you can bump up your consciousness, even if it's a short time, and you kind of view a reality that you never knew existed before. So to to me that was the the like one of the best benefits of having a teacher. The challenge always was when you when you got bumped up in energy, you always came back, right? <laughs> yeah, you always came back because you always had to go back to work the next day, the next week even. Um, so that was the great benefit of having a teacher. So I'd like to ask Justin the question. Justin, you've never had a teacher,
2: right? Um I mean not not in the i spiritual. guess i guess the sense the, the sense, yeah the sense that you guys are talking no, right, so when
0: you evolve yourself spiritually like how do you, what does it take for you to get those high spiritual moments like I don't know, maybe you can describe like when those happened or what they felt like, and we can compare that to Ari, but let me give an example a high spiritual moment for me was when the mind went away and the heart opened up and, and I was in a place of knowing, right? There's no duality. It was a place of knowing. And I felt, I felt the first time the wholeness of myself. And it was a lot bigger than I had perceived before. It went way beyond the physical, right? So in, in your spiritual involvement, what was the highest, uh,
2: spiritual experience that you had? Um, I guess, uh, uh, that would, that would be, my awakening, but I mean, like that, um, that, that experience was, uh, like I wasn't expecting it or anything. Um, a lot of, a lot of, um, the big uh, transformations in my, in my experience over the last year and a half, two years now has been, um, um, come in the form of, of uh, basically creating a, a goal and then, uh, executing. And, um, so it, it sounds like a, it sounds like a, a bit different than getting somebody else's, uh, energy and, and getting brief boosts. It, it's a, it's a much more long-term, um, kind of thing where, where basically you're, you're trying to I- ensure that, um, you have the right cause for the effect that you want in your life. And, and so like, for an example, um, I wanted to make sure that I was breathing from my belly. For um, I, I just wanted to make sure that that's where my oxygen was coming from. I was coming breathing as deeply as possible, um, and you do all the exercises day in and day out, and you don't necessarily have this like you know amazing experience. Maybe you, you tap something and you you felt some feminine energy or something, but the the, the great like euphoric feel, feelings are. When you turn something that was totally foreign to you, um, totally just out of your, uh, you, you've never th- thought that you'd be able to breathe from your lower gut naturally. But one night you're, you're, you're laying in your bed and you look down and you're breathing from exactly where you're supposed to be breathing. And those, <laughs> those experiences, um, when you naturally start doing things that you never thought you'd naturally be able to do, um, I've always felt uh, lasted much longer than than any short-term experience um and, and for me anyway because it's like i i freaking did that i did that nobody can ever take that from me nobody can <laughs> take it from me that i wake up at four in the morning now you know it's like i did that stuff it's like who who do i turn to when when i need something solved me you know why because i solved the problems uh in my life and um uh it's a it's a kind of a douchey way to, to, to talk, but it, it feels damn good when you start getting some wins lined up, you know? <laughs> uh, and, right. Uh, I, I, does that answer your question? I Because I, I, I was trying to remember times in my life where I, where I experienced feelings of a rising consciousness. And usually it, it's in my realization that I've changed something uh, for the better. Have you ever had like an experience that, that uh,
0: like a very – visceral experience that you're more than your physical body that there's more to you like energetically like have you, have you felt that
2: um, definitely uh, well I guess then you we, we would be talking about like uh, taking shrooms or um, <laughs> LSD and or ayahuasca or something and uh, and, and having a, a, a death experience uh, an experience where you truly believe that you have died and then you come back to life and, and all that stuff. Um, um, but not without, um, uh, not that deep, um, without, uh, hallucin- hallucinogens. Okay. So Ari, I'd like to compare like
0: your experience, especially the, the one that you uh, told us about before where you, that the, the first night you met uh, Rama, you sat down with him and how the light room turned into gold, <laughs> right? So if we can talk about that, and then maybe what we could talk about too is Justin was able to put the discipline in his life to move himself forward and um, evolve in, in evolving, like his spiritual path, right? You went to the teacher, you had a completely different experience but, that, that, but I guess the question then, did the teacher give you the tools to like create that self-discipline within you, the ritual, the practice that, that he was able to instill in you that moved you forward? So can you, let's start by t- talking about the experience itself.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I can tell you even now, I mean, just having this conversation definitely must have stirred up something because I feel like my my being is dissolving i'm seeing you know all this partic particles almost um kind of a uh different goldish reddish particles uh uh just in my in my vis- uh, visual consciousness is just happening i mean and the, you know like they say um i'm i'm not christian but you know that uh, says you know if two or more people come uh, what what is the phrase uh, uh are are so together in my name in my name, in in that way, you know, just just, just that we're having a satsang, you know, a, a gathering of truth. In that sense, these things can open up dimensions to us that you know we may not be aware of, and you know we're you know there, there is a, a an energy of truth that's flowing through us. Um, as wishy washy as that might sound, <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't sound wishy washy at all. In fact,
0: um, with um, a quick side note. In discussions we had with uh, other people in our podcast, um, we came up with this idea and it made a lot of sense that there's a lot of ways to evolve yourself spiritually, right? We're talking about some of them, but maybe the most profound way is having deep, meaningful mm-hmm. conversations with other people like we're having now. And, mm-hmm. and, and we talked about this with many people, and it seems that maybe that is the, actually the best way to evolve yourself by having these deep, meaningful conversations that stirs something deep inside you, right? Mm-hmm. So every time we have them, I can feel, I can feel, my, I can feel um, happy, right? Which is kind <laughs> of like the indicator we were using that you're, you're on the right path, you're following um, the right road. So uh, uh, I think in the more conversation, more podcasts we have, the, the true I think this is, deep conversations about meaningful things that you care about, Will evolve you not only spiritually, but but uh, emotionally
2: and mentally also. Yeah, that's the Absolutely. yeah, that's the original point of of arguing. Um, when they when they first started doing arguing, it was like uh, um, they were just having dialogues. It wasn't like people were yelling at each other; like they were just talking things through. And the reason why they were talking was so each person could uh, just explain how they thought. And it's like, well, here's how I think about this. And then they, and then they just, and then once, once logic got, got better, um, people just start pointing out the contradictions and be like, oh, you're not thinking about this, right. Um, and then that's, that's how, uh, so this dialogue stuff has, has been around for thousands of years and it, it works. It, it really, like you, like, like you said, like every time we have these, um, have these interviews that the, the sparks fly and, and everyone jumps in on it and it's a uh, very enjoyable Right, but Ari, right, you're the first one that said uh, they saw themselves dissolving into light. So cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you feel it. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's definitely beautiful. Um, but yeah, um, I guess there. So there's the there's the the question about uh, how I met my teacher, my first teacher, um, and then there's a question about teachers and teachings, um, and I would also say that, you know, one, the times have changed too, you know, just to kind of get back to that first question. The times have changed and, you know, we've also been seem to be rocked by continuous scandals in the spiritual world teaching, you know, uh, and a lot of things that uh, that we regarded may have regarded in the past as, you know, crazy wisdom teachings and stuff like that and kind of let things go now in this age we're much less likely to do that and so there's a lot of jadedness in in the world too and and a lot of skepticism um and uh you know the whole concept of a of a spiritual teacher someone who can impart wisdom to you in some way or transmit energy you know is is really looked at this this day and age much more skeptically even than when i started you know back in the early 90s with the whole thing um and you know certainly you know back in the 60s you know they they were much more open to all things and they were just experimenting and you know there's all kinds of drugs and stuff like that um but now i mean you know, that we're so bombarded with information and we have so many resources at our fingertips that that i certainly didn't have when i was starting out that uh we can be our own guides in a way much better than before. Um, So we have all these different, you know, uh, resources. We can, we can look online and see all the scandals that this teacher had or that teacher had all all that stuff. Um, And, and, you know, there's all kinds of different spiritual resources where we can look at what this, this, these terms mean and all that stuff. Um, The downside is there's, I think that in a certain way, there's some aspect of our innocence as kind of children coming to the path that you lose when it's, you know, in a little bit when everything becomes so intellectual um, and that we can, you know, think we can understand something. And so a lot of times we cut ourselves off prematurely from having an experience because we've read all these things and there are so many warnings about this. one thing that i've definitely learned is that no teacher is absolutely pure you know that, that this this part of the one of the big misconceptions that i've kind of come to realize over the you know more of the last 10 years is that the whole concept of uh, and this is my you know my first teacher was very much into this concept of this, as a cr- absolute criterion for enlightenment is that the ego gets annihilated and this concept, I think, is, um, if not problematic, it's it's definitely has some aspects of that it's not completely correct. Um, and I think that recent years have kind of played this out in terms of all these, they are teachers across the board. I mean, you know, you typically had these, you know, kind of, uh, a vision of a teacher that was involved in scandals you know they tended to be more the crazy wisdom teacher who is dealing with energies and uh, you know, uh, they would be very charismatic and uh, and all these things uh, and very bhakti tended to be you know there's a, a lot about you know devotion to the teacher and so then they could take over take you over and then you you submit to the teacher and all this stuff and then you lose control. Um, but then you started to see that these things are really across the board. You see very Zen teachers in traditional Zen settings who are getting involved in exactly the same kind of sexual scandals, uh, uh, financial scandals, all kinds of stuff. Um, so it really is across the board. So if you can accept that no teacher you meet, if you can just accept upfront that they're ever going to be perfect that we're all flawed human beings and that we're going to, and in the, the teacher you might revere the most for being the, you know, having this tremendous level of consciousness experience, um, or, or super conscious experience and, uh, representing the Dharma and all this stuff, um, that they are, they are probably just as flawed in many ways as you are. And, um, There are psychological issues that the teachers typically have uh, that they probably still need to go through and, and, and resolve. And so if you can come to a teacher with the understanding that they're probably, they they are flawed, you know, that unquestionably they have flaws and, and that you're going to be okay with that as long as they don't, uh, go beyond certain boundaries that you're completely not comfortable. Um, in that you know they don't violate you sexually, they don't violate you physically, uh, they don't drive you into poverty. Um, Is it, you know especially if, you, if you're living in world and they're not taking care of you in some monastic type setting, <laughs> you better have some money. Um, so as long as they don't, as as long as they don't cross those boundaries of acceptability to that extent uh, where they're actually committing a crime in a sense then i think then then you're prepared to meet a teacher in this day and age and um i think also that the getting to the sense where you have some understanding of who you are and um what's available to you um is a is a great uh is a great foundation you know for which to meet a teacher because if you don't have that and i think to a large degree i didn't have that when i started studying with teachers you know it's way back when when i was very young um, then you might have misconceptions about what is possible what is typical and say oh well this teacher you know he's exhibiting this so that is so completely unique that this must be the most incredible being on the planet kind of thing. And you get uh, totally enamored of this Mm -hmm. or there's, or even almost, almost even worse is uh, they're saying all the right words Mm -hmm. that you want to hear, you know, uh, uh, and you see this a lot in kind of this very romantic language that we see in a lot of the books that have come out, particularly in the new agey Books, you know, they just, they just say things and it kind of, they they fit the formula, what you want to hear in terms of spirit and talk about love and this and that, the other thing. And, you know, it just fits your formula exactly. And you just buy into that. And then, so then that, you know, if you're so stuck in that, that too can cut you off from, from uh, the teachers that are actually taking you beyond yourself because they're they they might tell you something that you really don't want to hear. You have to be prepared you have to be prepared for that. That they're if they're a real teacher they're they're going to take you like you said Anthony, they're going to take you out of your comfort zones. They're not just going to tell you what you want to hear. You know, they're going to put you through things. It's it's kind of like going through more rites of passage, you know, that your rites of passage, you know, the, the typical model was you know, you you go through, start to go through into adolescence and and puberty, and then you have some rite of passage experience, which we've really lost in our society, unfortunately, these days. And it's it's really become catastrophic, almost, as you see what what type of people we have as our leaders nowadays. Um, But those rites of passage, while they're critically important at that age in, in our lives, you know, kind of across the board regardless of what culture you come from, those types of rites of passage are still there to have at any level in, in our development that we should still be having rites of passage when we're 30, 40, 50, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then we're, we're saying, okay, where are we now? Okay, have we, have we kind of stagnated in our growth? Do we need to take, a, take a, another step higher you know you should um,
0: always be asking yourself that question yeah
1: yeah you exactly you should be asking that of yourself and that's part of that self honesty that's so important right so
0: so here's what I'm thinking I'm thinking like um if you go back to lineage uh, like Yogananda when I read his book and he, mm-hmm. the way he gave himself completely over to the teacher right yes the western I don't think the Western mind can 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 give themselves over to that degree and i think like yogananda's teacher um, was probably one of um, the purest, right especially given the time the lineage and things but i think you're right in this day and age whatever teacher you come across you've come across some very powerful spiritual teachers they they all have their weaknesses right sure sure they're they're on this plane So the first thing I'd like to highlight is the way it was done back in the day, like Yogananda, it's, it's almost, I I can't, I feel like it's impossible in this day and age for a person living in the world to have that sort of dedication to a teacher or to have that quality, not the quality might be be the wrong word, but that type of teacher in this day and age, like in the Western world, if you go to the Himalayas, it might be a different thing. Right. So Mm -hmm. so there's that thing. And, And because of that, Uh, I I think it's more important that we incorporate a lot of what Justin's doing, like, like self-discipline, right? Yes. yes. But I I still like to get back to the point where the first time you um, met your teacher, Rama, Mm -hmm. the experience that you had, like if you could describe that and and what that experience did for you towards like getting a, um, a practice for yourself and how it, what, it, what did it do in your life? Like, how did it propel you? How, what changed, right? Because ultimately, it comes down to that experience is great, right? But if you forget about it the next day, which is part of the, the curse of the, the earth plane, then it, <laughs> what value does it have, right? In that case, what, what Justin did in regards to having self-discipline to see actual change is of much more value, right? So I'm trying to compare the two experiences see maybe if we can sure. take a little bit from each, and where the, what the benefit of each is,
2: sure, yes. sure. Um, yeah, just uh, first and, and foremost, just just because you, you brought it up in, in my head when, when you said when you talk about Yogan, Yogananda, um, I was reading that recently actually actually, so it's kind of fresh in my mind, and um, and yeah, the second like <clears throat> when I got into this this stuff, like people transferring energy and everything. Um, and, and you hear about that. And the first thing you have to do uh, with the Western mind is to, to turn it off and go and go, okay, I know that I've never seen this happen before, but let's just look at the, the science behind it and see how, how this could actually work. And then you do the research on it, you read a little, you and, get, and you realize that it's, it's fairly easy to, to transfer energy between people. And, and, uh, and then you go, okay, so this is real. And this person is giving this other person energy. Therefore, in my conspiracy theory it uh, comes in the conspiracy theory. He goes, if he can give energy, he can take it away, and that terrifies me because it's like it's like well, they can teach me how to how to how to give my energy away, but they they have that other secret in their back pocket, and that and that it, that's like that in itself, like alone, like I get rid of like all the um, uh, all the. Um, issues that they've that they've had with these these imperfect uh beings which, which it, it shouldn't be an issue it shouldn't be an issue if, if some if uh if your your uh master or whatever is um is imperfect because if if he was perfect he'd be dissolving into the into the clouds you know it, it would be it, that, that's not useful for us we, we need imperfect people to teach us because the perfect ones keep disappearing um but uh the the whole whole point is is that it is it gets very crazy very quickly with with the with this energy stuff and the potentiality of of the the power that is behind these people um that that, that's something else to, to be aware of getting back to my my own personal
1: path um i remember uh i was around 15 and i was uh taking aikido and um I was having some conversation with my teacher and, and just saying, you know, some of the stuff I was going through and, uh, with my state of mind and so forth. And she recommended said, Hey, would you like to learn how to meditate? I said, sure. And so, um, we sat down kind of traditional Japanese seiza style where you're, uh, you're sitting on your knees and, um, And we did kind of a very uh, simple practice of just uh, allowing the mind to settle down and be calm. And so that was my first kind of intro to meditation. Um, I would say even if if I wanted to go way back, um, I remember a long, long time ago when I was um, around seven or so, I had some experiences that I thought were incredibly frightening. Um, It was, it was, they were so bizarre uh, that it was kind of like the, the world was spinning around me really fast. At the same time, it was incredibly slow. So you you had this, this kind of uh, uh, dichotomy going on. It was so bizarre. And um, the only way I could get it to stop, would be like to, to put on some TV or something and, and try and just hold on until I, I pulled myself back from wherever I happened to be. So I was, and looking back now, I can kind of say, wow, you know, based on the experience I had, I, I had to be in some other dimension. And I was, you know, a lot of kids have these experiences where they get just thrown into some other weird dimension. You know, they could say they're possessed or they're, they're, um, um uh completely uh somehow sucked into some other dimension that's basically the only way i can really put it um some really bizarre experiences like that and now i can look back and i can say wow you know if i had had like you know like typically the classic thing you know but tibetan uh buddhists um have this practice of uh you know when they when they're children they they come to the monastery and um and children who have come with some abilities or some opening from past lives or something like that, um, they're identified in some way, and then a teacher who's knowledgeable when when a student has these kinds of very bizarre experiences. They can reinterpret that experience and say, "This is what's actually happening, and it's not necessarily a horrible thing. It may seem like a nightmare or something because you're not used to it. Uh, but these types of different energetic experiences are things that a lot of kids go through, and and um, and then a lot of people go through even at different uh, in, in their adult lives too. And we say they're insane or something like that, but really, all that's happening is they're tapping into some other dimension." Involuntarily at at times, and we don't know how to interpret that in the West, particularly. Whereas in the East, you know, they've had a lot of tradition, and you know, uh, in a lot of different traditions, particularly um, some of the more the the Vajrayana tradition in in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, the Zen uh, in Zen, and um, some other ones where the, where they actually deal with different states of mind. But these things aren't bizarre at all. They're just, you know, different states of consciousness. And, um, but unfortunately in our Western world, we're so uh, defined by this boundary of this is the range of conscious experience that we can have. And anything outside of that is insanity, um, so, um, and it seems to be that every year it seems to be narrowing that band down further and further, unfortunately. Mm. So, um, um, but I was just giving that as a, as a prelude to, you know, kind of what I went through, um, when I was, um, so I had this, I had those experiences when I was a kid and then they kind of went away. I kind of pushed them away. I remember. And then I've had this brief uh, introductions to very basic meditation in uh in uh late my my mid-teens um and then i remember one of my teachers turned me on to herman hesse's uh siddhartha uh you know which is kind of a a take-off on the buddha but the buddha was a character in the story and um that book uh, really kind of profoundly affected me, even though I don't think Herman Hesse was realized or anything like that. But he really tapped into one side of the path, and particularly this aspect of uh, someone going out in the world, going out from the world in, in meeting a, t- a great teacher, and then coming back into the householder life, and then things falling apart in a way, and then going back to that tradition in some way or, or now being able to go to that some aspect of that transcendental experience and with the knowledge that they had from before. So, um, you know, maybe at a certain, that's why it's so personal at a certain point in time, you're ready for something at another point in time. Um, at another point in time, uh, you're ready for something completely different. So, um, that's why, I, you know, and I've kind of learned, and I think we all kind of learned this, that at different stages, that we need certain things at different stages. And if, if we go for an experience we're not really ready for, we'll probably have a very, <laughs> a, 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 might have a major catastrophe in a certain way. Um, so that's why I, I, I still come back to this. It's, it's about self-honesty. It's about your experience as an individual, um, but I will state this kind of caveat is that if you find that your practice is in any way, just kind of reifying what you think is right, um, and just kind of, uh, uh, redefine what you want to hear in a way, uh, this, the, you know, everything has becomes like this, uh, uh, big, uh, feedback loop that you, you know it's just kind of telling you what you want to hear and you're having the same kind of experiences you're not really going beyond yourself that's probably an indication that you're not having a full transcendental experience um also that uh, i i see a lot particularly in the advaita do du- non-dual uh uh, aspects of what we have in spirituality that have become very very popular um, That a lot of times there's a misinterpretation of them and then people um, um, Can very easily intellectualize their experience and think that they're That they've attained something when it's just really an, an intellectualization And that's a very dangerous thing on the path to um, Not necessarily horrible, you know, all these things are not horrible and, uh, you know, uh, kind of the Nietzschean uh, that which should not kill me makes me stronger kind of thing. I think that's an important thing, too, that you're going to have lots of different types of experiences and some will break you. Some will, uh, you know, be semi catastrophes. But as long as you can still at the end of the day, get back up on your feet and and keep rolling with it and, you know, uh you may have took a serious hit financially you may have t- taken a serious you know even physically you know had some some catastrophic thing happen to you um you may have been sent off to war and then you've lost your legs or something like that you know something really you know permanently damaging on one level but we can't predict how that is going to change our path and and our outlook on life and and our experiences so that that may be it it, it. it has to be a part of your experience. If you've had it, some part of you had to go through it. So, um, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. That yes, you may go through some trauma in a, in some ways, but you know, birth is a traumatic experience too for you know any baby coming into the world, right? It's, it's so work that whole idea of rebirthing in a way is that we're we're always kind of cycling through new experiences and uh there is some level of trauma associated with any new birth um so that shouldn't uh, dissuade you from having the experience and you know when you hear about all the scandals of different teachers and so forth that shouldn't dissuade you from the thought of possibly having having a teacher as long as you are have a good foundation with yourself and you, you know, you can say when something's really going too far off or you don't feel you, you don't feel like this is helping you at all. And you're really, but again, you have to really be doing that practice to be able to say that in any, with any conviction, any level of conv- conviction. Um, Cause otherwise, you know, I have seen a lot of cases where people aren't doing the practice that the teacher is saying and aren't even following some basic dictums and yet then they go off and say well the, you know this teacher's not right for me and you see a lot of times that people going from teacher to teacher to teacher and they really like things at first but they don't discipline themselves and they don't adhe- follow what the teacher says and then they find ah oh, it's not as interesting as i once thought it was and then they move on to another teacher but they so, so they really didn't get they really didn't take that teacher's teaching to the limit as far as they could Um, so they really weren't in a position to say one way or another about that. And maybe they missed out on having a great experience that they could have had. Um, so that's something to keep in mind too. Um, getting back to my experience. Um, uh, so I read Hessa's, uh, Siddhartha and I was really, uh, kind of enamored with it um and with uh siddhartha's experience of meeting the buddha and yet he decided that wasn't his path and his friend goes off and and stays with the buddha and then he comes back and lives the household life and then finds that ultimately unsatisfying and then he goes back and except he goes back to the practice but it's not the same as it was when where he was maybe 20 years ago when he when he first met the buddha and he was doing all these different practices and then he becomes transformed in his own way uh, but maybe he had to go through those experiences in the world in order to have that other experience to, to get to the point where he was completely uh destroyed in, in a sense Uh, by the world um, completely found that no longer satisfying in any way that he had to go through that to get to that point before he could go, then go back. And now he said, now he has this, uh, this gets back on the path in a different way, in a different state of mind. So that was very interesting for Mm -hmm. me to read. And then, then I read, um, not read, but uh, first, but I saw, uh, joseph campbell's series on uh with bill moyers on the power of myth and Joseph campbell's just a fantastic storyteller um uh, and really cool guy and you know his basic premise was follow your bliss now that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people It could mean hedonism etc um it could be self delusion <laughs> in a lot of ways but there is it's, it comes back to that same thing i was talking about in that when I say you really feel happy with yourself, it's that same kind of idea. There is this sense of contentment that I'm really at the right place at the right time with myself. Um, but in any case, uh, Joseph Campbell told some amazing stories, you know, kind of related, uh, tales from the Mahabharata, uh, the Indian, great Indian epic. And, um, you know, some Buddhist stories and stuff. And I thought, wow, this is really cool stuff. And, you know, some of his own experiences. And then I brought, I bought the the book that was basically the transcripts of that dialogue that he and Bill Moyers had. And when I went to work at a ski resort, I was living at 9,000 feet in the mountains of Utah. And, um, and I was reading this stuff and I was, you know, in, in that environment, it just, Clears you out psychically so much, you know, there's so few people you're in the snows You're in the mountains and it, the energies are fantastic and um, Then I remember, you know, I was reading that stuff and I said to myself um, When I get back as I, I, I had taken a break from from college I said when I get back to school I've got to learn how to do this meditation thing, right? And then sure enough I get back I go to summer school and uh, right on the posters at Berkeley is uh, a poster for learn how to meditate and, you know, say, come to this session. And so I met some people who uh, it turned out were students of my first real teacher, Rama, Dr. Frederick Lenz. And um, so I they introduced me to Rama. I went to some of his events And I will tell you, at first, (laughs) I had a very strange introduction uh, because right before the first event I was going to meet Rama, uh, in our Daily Californian, uh, our school newspaper, front page thing about uh, Rama uh, and uh, reports of uh, being a cult and all kinds of stuff. And so I was kind of freaked out when I first read that. And, um, and I was very hesitant, you know, when I went, cause we went down to the, I got flown down to Beverly Hills and we were in tuxedos and it was crazy. I mean, it was just, it was just, it seemed crazy. And I was wondering, what the hell am I getting myself into here? And, um, and I actually, my first introduction to Rama was not, the greatest I, I remember he was talking a lot about how important it is to have money in the society so you don't get completely wasted by it um and i was in the stage where i was kind of semi-hippie you know i, I liked i liked my weed <laughs> i liked <laughs> I, I liked uh you know having all these different types of experiences and, and i and i i liked uh the i, I lived in a co-op in berkeley And so I wasn't into, you know, materialism and stuff. And so I thought this is, this can't be right. Something so weird. And, uh, but for some reason I, I kept going back and, and, um, I should say, um, going back to my first meeting with the students of Rama, um, they put on one of his albums to meditate to. And uh, they just gave kind of a basic introduction to meditation, at least as far as Rama was teaching it. And it was a, a kind of a, a simple chakra meditation. So chakras are these energy centers in the subtle body. And so he would his typical introduction, introductory meditation, would be you would focus on um, these different centers. So you would focus on uh, the navel center and then the heart center and the third eye. And I remember when we got up to the third eye, I, I, just, I had some ex- some type of kundalini experience where it was literally jolting me, jolt, like jolting my head back almost. It was so uh, dramatic. Um, I said, whoa, what, what is going on here? This is bizarre. And um, but uh, it was very uh, shocking. And then but it, but just the fact that I had that energetic experience. Uh, pushed me to go further um, and and kind of keep up the thing. And, you know, I would kind of go in and out of the practice. Um, I wasn't consistent with it, but I met Rama and um, I saw some stuff when I was with Rama, you know, kind of some sparkly stuff here and there, but, it, you know, nothing I couldn't explain away or rationalize away. Um, and a lot of people in the audience were, would be talking about, oh, I saw this, I saw dragons, I saw all kinds of crazy shit and um, had had all these different uh, experiences in the body. So, you know, different sensations and so forth. And I would say, you know, I didn't really see much of anything. Um, And this kind of went on and I had lots of meetings with Rama. And for some reason I kept going and going and I didn't know why I was going. And then finally I got to the point where I said, okay, well, I got to figure out this thing. Why are all these people having these experiences and I'm not having any of these real experiences. I've feeling something, but I'm not, nothing really profound, certainly nothing like on the order of what they're experiencing. So I said, well, the reality is I'm really not doing the practice. <laughs> I wasn't, you know, disciplined at all about it. And, uh, you know, I'm in college and I'm doing my own thing most of the time. So, um, um, so I, I kind of made, made a vow to myself that I would spend a month be, between this last session, uh, and then the next set, session, um, and I would really engage fully with the practice, do it every day. You know, he would say, uh, you should do this, uh, twice a day, every day, morning and evening. And, um, and you have to do it intensively. Um, so, uh, typically I would do, you know, a half hour in the morning, a half hour in the evening. And sometimes, I, you know, I would get so high from the the experience that I, that it would just keep me going way past that half hour. Um, And, or I would kind of just drop into this, some kind of emptiness. uh, It's just this deep silence. And I would just kind of abide there for a long time afterwards. So I was really getting, I was really sticking to it. And then, and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit myself right in front of Rama and then just see what happens. And then that night on that session just completely blew my mind. Um, and um, so uh, I could start to see right away, his form would start to dissolve right in front of me. Um, and uh, it started to kind of go into this photo negative type thing, kind of uh kind of a solarization, almost like, uh, you know, uh, back and forth from negative, uh, photo negative to photo positive, I guess you could say, and, uh, shifting all the lights shifting. And then, uh, over time I can see kind of this, uh, this kind of suffuse energy kind of would pervade the room. And I was feeling me and I was feeling like I was dissolving almost. Um, and, um, And then I could see like all around the whole room was suffused in this kind of goldish, reddish, goldish light, uh, white light, sometimes, you know, different colors. And, um, and it would appear that he would dissolve into nothingness and then re re emerge out of that nothingness. Um, All these very uh, bizarre experiences and bizarre scenes were happening. And at the same time I was having, some sensations that kind of most analogous to, you know, having done mushrooms, um, psilocybin type, uh, sensations and experiences. I was having those types of feelings, but it wasn't the same. Um, it was much more profound than that, I would say. Um, but it's really hard to describe and it's a very personal thing, which, and you know, you can't, it's very hard to explain to somebody what you're experiencing in those realms because those are things that we typically typically can't describe precisely in uh, uh, because our world is physical. Um, but there were aspects of it where you, this, this profound sense of dissolution and this um, amazing uh, sense of bright. Uh, gold light suffusing everything in the room and to the point where you were absorbed in that light and it was just kind of carrying you away it was just an amazing amazing experience and uh, and I would have experiences like that repeatedly over and over sitting with Rama um, just amazing experiences um, and um, yeah I don't know sorry I don't know if you want to jump in yeah. at this point
0: <laughs> yeah there's, there's a couple things i wanted i want to go back to compare you, your experience having a teacher to justin's experience without a teacher right and it seems like there there are two the one important ingredient to both your uh stories is discipline it wasn't already until you started the discipline to do the practice that things started happening right and in the same case with with justin he he, he imposed that discipline himself mm-hmm. um, so that th- that's the key and it makes sense because that's a key in any endeavor right that you're doing you have to right. be
1: disciplined in your case the difference I, I, I would just 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 one caveat there um, there are a lot of people I know who I could say in a way are blessed in that uh, they can come to some teacher and or you know not even have a teacher even and just have those types of experiences, uh, off the bat, you know, haven't done any kind of discipline practice. There are people, a lot of people who do have that experience. Um, it just, my personal experience was not like that. Right. I just say that. So I, I wouldn't say that that's a prerequisite, um, to do that type of discipline, but, uh, I found for certain, for me, it was necessary for me. I think for everyone on this
0: call, it would be necessary. <laughs> 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 and I would think for 90% of the people that listen to the podcast, it would probably be necessary. So for for those, those, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping the uh, proportion increases, for those that kind of fall into it naturally, that's awesome. For those that don't, we can maybe give them some guidance on, on how <laughs> to get to the next level. So that's where the discipline comes in. The big difference between your experience and Justin's experience is that you had those high spiritual moments sitting in front of Rama comparable to when you're on mushrooms, <laughs> but, but the quality of it is, it's so much finer and um, what's the word? It's cleaner. Like mm-hmm. that, that was my experience, right? It, it was, it was a magnitude different than mushrooms. Yeah. Though, though the best way you can explain it is when you're on mushrooms, Right. <laughs> so the, the so you had the teacher. He was able to impart these experiences to you. What, what I like to talk about, and it's more like for my for my clarification too. When, when you have those magical experiences, how does that change the quality of your life? How does that change the
1: trajectory of your life? I guess. Um it the to have that level of experience the first thing it does is it it blows away all your sense of human potential if if you had a sense that you know here are limits on what you can achieve like i remember even thinking when i was you know in my early teens i was like you know i guess there's at no point uh are you ever not thinking and and i thought i just thought that you know I guess there's really, there's no time when you're not thinking. And I don't know if that's the the way it is with other animal species, but certainly it seems that way with humans and certainly it seems with me. And then this, these types of experience completely break that, you know, and you, you may intuit that at a certain point yourself, but to have that experience where it completely shatters your idea of what's possible. In a moment. Yeah sorry in a moment like a moment, a moment yeah in a moment yeah i mean to have that experience um you can never be the same person again you just you simply can't um because your sense of of the boundaries of human experience have completely changed and now you see and you see that and of course you know you can. Uh, ra- I've I've seen people rationalize things to themselves after they've had these experiences and say, well, uh, maybe, I, maybe I just, maybe I was drugged by, you know, something was in the water, you know, or, or uh, maybe I, you know, I was just having this, uh, 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 you know, different neurons were firing <laughs> in my brain for some reason. Nice. You know, I've, I've heard all kinds of rationalizations, but uh, I know what I know. And, um, and I think, I think, yeah, certainly, yeah, that definitely changes your sense of boundaries of what's possible. The other side of it is, too, I think that um, having a grounded state, uh, so doing things that are, you know, very logical and so forth and and having a a very – reading a lot of philosophy and stuff like that. And, um, so having that as a, as a background kind of can give you a very solid foundation. So, um, when you have these mystical experiences, um, it's, you can speak from truth because you have that kind of logical background to fall back on. Whereas if, if people haven't had, you know, really formal study and so forth, um, and um they can't uh <laughs> and here i am not having a coherent sense uh but um if if you if you can't have that background where you were really grounded in the physical grounded intellectually uh somewhat emotionally stable then those experiences can completely throw you or mislead you in a lot of ways so yeah. uh, i remember even rama told us sometimes you know i think best thing you guys a lot of you guys can do is go see a good therapist you know <laughs> because and, and it's true i mean that we that unfortunately a lot of us have a, had and have a lot of psychological issues um and i don't think anybody's really com- completely free from those psychological issues um that those things can derail us too on the spiritual path oh yeah uh, and there's that whole concept of spiritual bypass, and I and I certainly went through that. Um, what is that? So this concept that of spiritual bypass is that you know you start to have these metaphysical experiences, these transcendental experiences that are taking you uh, outside of normal normal range of what we call human experience. Um. And then you start to think that now that means that all your dirty stuff, your baggage, your psychological baggage, et cetera, your emotional hangups and all kinds of stuff, um, that they're now completely dissolved and res- resolved. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of us you know, it, it go through this, this period where we have that kind of thing, of spiritual bypass and then something happens and then it forces us to confront ourselves and our all our baggage and and then we have to say okay well i guess that uh those experiences didn't wipe the slate clean no um if only they I think
0: did I, sorry well, i said if only they did <laughs> if only they did yeah exactly it would, it would be make the road great. a lot easier yeah. that would
1: have been great yeah And I think, uh, you know, having done some more reading, I I think, and, uh, heard a lot more podcasts, I think guys like Ken Wilber and stuff in this regard, they've done a lot of really good work, um, dealing with that concept and, and people who have had those types of experiences and are able to see these, you know, the, 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 the problems that are still there with teachers, particularly but even but also for students um i think it's very important that you be you be completely honest and you you there has to be some part of you that is this witness that is saying okay i'm doing this can i really rationalize this behavior that that i I, i'm exhibiting this behavior is that really healthy um and so I know I think you were talking before about morality being an important thing, and maybe it's maybe morality might be a, a too heavy a word, but certainly um, having a a proper healthy sense of um, of acting appropriately uh, not hurting somebody um, and rationalizing it away uh, I think that's very important like I I certainly went through the experience where, uh, you you know, um, being very young and having these experiences and I would kind of look down on my family and stuff like that. And some friends who were still really involved in heavy drug use and so forth or moderate, you know, moderately, moderate drug use and so forth. And, and by that time Rama had had us, you know, completely quit drugs uh, if we were involved in it in any way, you, that was part of the deal. You had discipline meditation, no drugs, uh, serious exercise, uh, proper eating habits, all that stuff was all part and parcel of the program. But I, I remember, you know, um, looking down on other people who weren't following this to some degree, you know, in some places, you know, having some sense of pity for other people. But still, you know, is egotistical, having these these feelings, and um, and then um, and then feeling that you've really advanced beyond where these people are, you know, it's like okay, ten years go by and you have more experiences. Oh, well, this is I'm really still not there.
2: <laughs> Wherever I thought I was, it really wasn't <laughs> where I thought I was. So I, I think you um, you hit the nail on the head when. It, when it comes to, um, this stuff, when you're talking about uh, understanding logic and having a, a solid, um, foundation or just a grounding in, in, in reality. And, um, <laughs> it, and, um, cause that, that's where I, I always feel like I, I got lucky in terms of, um, uh, how I got launched off in, in this stuff because, um, the first when you have these experiences, the first the first thing that came to my head was was how do how do I explain this to other people so that <laughs> they don't think that I'm crazy. One that was that was hard enough, but then but then two to two to make them go, I fucking want to do that also because right? <laughs> that was much more important to me than than pretty much anything, and that, that's always been on my mind. And um, and I was lucky because when I got into this, the the first guy Anthony knows him, Mark Passio, the, the first videos that i started watching he was like you gotta know uh grammar logic rhetoric and since we don't have time to talk about grammar or rhetoric we'll just talk about logic you know this is the one that that it's going to make you so and no one's going to no one can throw the wool over your eyes if you know logic no one's going to be able to trick you um and you're going to be able to um um follow things through with relative uh, a a priori um I finally got to use that, that term, a priori. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, the, to the best of your ability um, to, to reason things and to, to understand them. And then, and then when you're able to reason things, you, you realize it's a lot easier to, to reason or a lot harder to reason out loud. And the unfortunate thing about reasoning out loud is it's, it's the best way to, to uh, explain to people <laughs> the, an experience. Uh, other than painting it i suppose um with, with my <laughs> symbolism and stuff but the 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 logic is always where i run back to when when it, like does this make sense yes okay we're, we're still good Let, let's push it forward if i didn't have that it would just be so quickly out into outer space you know like the just like any weird thing that happens where like for example like you fall out of your body while you're meditating and you're just you know just and it's like like that would freak the crap out of me if I didn't have logic. And for some people, uh, they look at that and they go, they go what the logic is making you able to go deeper. It's like, yes. Cause it, it says you're safe. There's no death here. You're, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so, so it was always the, the logic thing. And, and that's the, that's the, the one negative about going into this thing. Um, if we were taught it in school, you know, uh, it would be a different story, but the one negative thing, if you go into this thing without a teacher, um, you're not going to know what's true and what's not true if you don't know, if you don't have logic. Uh, so if you go and you get and you start doing the the, the spiritual YouTube videos and stuff, um, and you don't have a guy there who's like, who's not just going to be like, like, for example, your, your Rama to be like, that guy is an idiot. You wouldn't know until like six months later. And then you're like, Oh man, I've been watching this YouTube dude. And he's, and he's just full of shit. <laughs> um, but, but with logic, once you get logic done, you can do that pretty quick where it's, it's not skepticism. I'm asking you a question about, uh, that, that has a logical conclusion. And if you can't come to a logical conclusion with me, then, then we're going to have trouble. Um, <laughs> but it's like that open-minded skepti- skepticism yes. allows for. Because it allows you to put things into your head and, and to say, I'm going to decide whether I'm going to accept or reject this not i'm just going to accept whatever comes in or i'm just going to reject whatever comes in both of those are just not right so yeah i like the uh, just the the acknowledgement of of the important of this is where logic fits in spirituality
1: you know yeah it's 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 a tricky thing though because um like i, I like i like sam harris a lot uh, you know sam um yeah. you know he's a neuroscience philosopher and meditator himself um and he, in fact, studied with one teacher that, you know, I just look at the picture and, you know, kind of sends me into ecstasy. Uh, <laughs> Kensei Rinpoche, I mean, just that guy was just off the charts, you know, in terms of his d- development. Um, but um, Sam likes a very formulaic thing, you know, you do this, do this, and, you know, this will be the logical outcome. And I think that's also a trap in a way uh, to have mm-hmm. a formula.
2: Uh, He's Yeah. yeah, He he proved how little he knows. The last video I watched me was with Jordan Peterson. And he he was just making uh, a joke about tarot cards. But he had no like he was basically going to debunk it in front of everyone just for shits and giggles because they weren't even talking about it. And he just brings it up. And it's like he didn't. He doesn't know anything about symbolism so he he doesn't know anything about tarot cards and he's just trying to like conflate them with future telling and and how it's not possible and how he could just do it very easily and then he grabs the hangman card and he's trying to ex- explain it but he's never looked at it before and he doesn't know the the actual symbolism so he's making it up and it's completely off and it's like it was the most cringiest thing to see um somebody it's so logical just just be like Oh, I just don't believe that there's anything here. Therefore, um, I'm just going to, you know, bullshit my way through it, and, and everyone's just gonna gonna cheer. And he actually got heckled because of it, which was, you know, he was able to handle. But it was, it was still like, like what the like, you you can see where you, you take logic at it too far, and it it really throws things through a loop. It's like, and you can meditate and also not believe in free will at the same time. Like, like come on, that, that's that's crazy. <laughs>
1: I don't know the the whole free will thing is is something. I, I mean, even Rama would told us that you know from one perspective there is no free will, and from other perspective there's complete free will, and, and depending upon what he wants to convey to us at a certain point in time, he would emphasize one or the other or some combination thereof. Or,
2: there's always um, a combination, but but to somewhere in the somewhere spectrum, yeah, yeah, if, to say um, you, you know you could really just go 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 to like the, the uh, it, you know, we, we can get pretty deep on it, but the, the whole point, the whole point is that I, I like the spectrum idea. And because as long as the spectrum is there, then it's like free will exists. And like, that's good enough. Uh, <laughs> for, like, cause it just has to be like one cause. Is there one cause in the entire existence of anything that was uh, independent of nature, just naturally doing something. And it's like, if, if so, then, free will exists. Um, and that's, that's the minimum amount, but, uh, but to say that it doesn't exist, uh, um, and, and also to be able to meditate to a point where, where you could just start feeling things like that, um, is amazing to me that, that he can hold those two beliefs. I really have to read his book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, didn't want to derail the
1: topic, uh, discussion with, with that, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing because I think, you know, it, and, and this is where, you know, I think if you look at traditional Tibetan practice, for instance, they go through some massive training uh, in logic and reasoning and so forth. And uh, they're doing these incredible, you know, if they're really doing it, they're doing these incredible uh, uh, visualizations and there are actually visualizations of those visualizations you can watch on uh I think they probably have them on YouTube. I've seen them um on other programs and CD and CDs way back when. But what they're actually doing, uh, these whole things about holding in your mind these incredibly detailed uh images that are dynamic and so forth, they're 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 shifting and changing and 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 that's part of your practice. This is uh, 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 kind of the Vajrayana uh, uh, Mandala meditations. Um, they're doing all of these kind of trainings of their mind, um, and to a certain degree, a lot of things are logical. It's like if you if you do this, you take this path, um, then you will probably have these these this types of experiences. Um, but then there's this kind of translogical, transcendent aspect where things just go off the game board yeah. and, um, and there is no way to explain it. So when you're talking about how do I relate this experience a lot, of times it's, it's impossible to relate those, those really transcendent experiences because the, that's when there is no you anymore. So how do you relate that? You know, it's just, it's, it's impossible. All you can kind of do is kind of allude to it. And, um, And sometimes that allusion to that experience or that non-experience, if you want to say it like that, sometimes that's all a person needs to just get really psyched about doing something. Um, If that's part of the intention is to motivate them or or to excite them or arouse them to, you know, there's something else uh, that you can go to that's beyond this level of experience. Now, one thing I would also uh, another caveat that there are always these caveats to things I've I realized that, you it's know, a very, uh,
2: very nuanced
1: topic. Yeah, it is. It is. And how close it is related to drug experiences. Um, and I think Anthony, you were also alluding to that, you know, about the high and then coming back down and, you know, and then how do we keep moving through this? But there are these, experiences in meditation that are very similar in many ways to drug trips and we have to be honest about it um and particularly in the uh kundalini yoga type tradition and you know when you talk about uh yogananda um he had all these kinds of really far out experiences even before he he had his first samadhi experience um um, cause he was really, really up there for sure. Um, uh, but, uh, it, you know, in Yogananda met Babaji, uh, in some form or another and Babaji is way out there being, you know, really trans has transcended the, any kind of mind state and so forth. Um, but, um, it's important from our perspective that these, these experiences can be uh, definitely seen as very similar to drug experiences, and there is something to that and I think it's important to acknowledge that that a lot of these experiences we have that we talk about getting high in a way, and so we use the same terminology um, with these kind of drug experiences and certainly that was my my experience was I like, you know I was like wow you know I'm so high I would say that you know, and a lot all my friends would say the same thing It was like that were. You know, being with Rama six hours and your mind is just blown, you know, all this energy is pushed through your being and um, you do really feel high. And that high would last days and days. Um, And then it would finally start to peter out. And and then, uh, you know, after a week or so, you're saying, oh, man, (laughs) I wish I was back there again. (laughs) And so uh, that's uh, an unfortunate thing is that, particularly in those paths, the Kundalini path, there's a lot of that. You, you get high, you get really high, and you go beyond the body for sure. And it's not an illusion. It's not uh, some mind game that you're playing with yourself. You are having these experiences, not a projection. So, but sorry, go
2: ahead. Um, yes, sir. Um, so I, yeah, for Anthony, I guess I, I wanted to show him, um, a realization that I had of a, of a diff of a difference between these two practices, because, um, when you're by yourself and especially over summer, when, when I really isolated myself and I was on the Island without a car and, um, and I was really going hard, um, the biggest, um, uh, thing that i felt that was similar but almost completely opposite to what you just explained was was the low point was the low points is when you're by yourself you you experience the low points and they're they're almost like depressive states and, yeah. and yeah. you you feel like just uh, picking up your pen to do work that you actually have to do is almost impossible and Jeez. and you're just like and you want to fall back onto every single um Bad habit that you used to have, and and all this stuff, and and you're 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 in such a a low low place, and then finally you you get like a decent night of sleep or something, and this is like this is like an extended period of time where your meditations aren't working, your your breathing exercises aren't giving you the highs that you wanted anymore, and you you don't even know why you're doing it, but you're still just sitting there and doing it, and then you just like it's like hey, I I I just can't remember uh, in recent times crying for any, for like actually legitimately crying, like tearing, oh, tears coming down my eyes, um, like t- disappointed in just my failures and that feeling, it, and then just like screaming it from it and, and, and throwing books and stuff and my neighbors, just hating me, I'm, I'm sure. Um getting through those nightmares of experiencing the shadow Um, is, is, is the exact opposite. But when you come out of that experience, you, you feel reborn, uh, like a, like a transformation happened. Um, and, and that could be the, the antithesis. Cause like we, you know, we've already brought up that, that there are different ways to, to experience this stuff. And, um, and perhaps when you do it in a more lonely way, you don't have a, a a Rama there to beam you with energy. (laughs) Um, so it's like, how do you get your juices going? It's like, well, you got to hit, you got to hit some sort of bottom. And there, there is an opposite way because uh, if everything's a circle, then if you go this way, you're still going to get back up. Uh, I guess I don't know. So, how did you pull yourself out of that that depression?
0: <sighs>
2: Weed helps. <laughs> <laughs> you get some wins, and yeah, you. you get some wins. You um, the the realizations of, of this of the long term work like uh, habits. Um, and then being able to, when, when things start going more long-term and you start seeing in bigger patches and you're like, you're like, Oh, if I work on this for five years, as opposed to like three months, you know, it's like, how, how much further can I push it and stuff? And you start getting excited for the future and stuff. And then, and the next thing you know, you're, you, you have another experience. And then and the next thing you know, you're back down again. And it's like, but you, you, you like the down though. Cause the down's not as down as last time. So you know that you're, you're going somewhere um but it it's hard to measure the the uppers but it's easy to measure the, the lows cuz cuz they're they're just so memorable <laughs> that's right But that's when you're in the fetal position rocking back and forth you're
0: crying like a little bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like uh, yeah yeah i've been there everyone's been there
1: <laughs> you know i would say one one thing that was a good reality check for me um and this was several years after um uh rama uh, rama died and um there's a whole drama about that uh but um one of my friends recommended to me uh eckhart tolle's book you know power of now and of course now eckhart is this huge figure oprah and all that <laughs> stuff too right um this was before then but um but I didn't at first when I picked up the book, I didn't think much of it, you know, just off the cuff. I thought, it was, you know, this is intellectual and, you know, just talking and, you know, and very basic what I could sought very basic ideas. But then I realized when I was reading it, you know, there was really something to that and that the problem with the type of path that I was on, it was very much kind of achievement oriented in a certain way that you had these levels and you had so many expectations, um, that you weren't in the now. A lot of times you weren't in the present. You're, you're, you were always a lot of times thinking about the future or looking back at the past and, you know, criticizing yourself for not doing this and that and being, and then, um, this was such a great, uh, other, viewpoint in a way in the practices that you know to to just not have that type of uh mentality that i you know it's always getting to another rung in the ladder and um you know where am i and where is the teacher and you know where am i in 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 his process and and you know his set of levels that he's defined and all this stuff and the problem with the expectation-based path is that it can be very depressing. You, you, you know, you're, you're here and you really wanted to be here. And, you know, maybe at a certain point you were here and now you've fallen back down to here. And, uh, you know, how do I get back to that state and all the stuff about states of mind. And then you realize that it's not just about states of mind. It's that there are, there are aspects to you that completely transcend states of mind. and and So having these different types of viewpoints, you know, one being this kind of very uh, much uh, there are these different levels of experience and different mind states to hit, and uh, you know different samadhis you can get to, and then there on the other side there's there's nothing to get to, there's nowhere to go, and to just completely drop into presence, and there is no achievement, there is no experience to be had. You know I would find that a lot of times I would oscillate back and forth between these things depending upon what I needed at the time, mm-hmm. so sometimes I would you know I would be you know doing that presence thing and then I would find that you know it's not doing anything for me now, and I really need to have that kind of um achievement oriented view and and get back into that and then I would flip back at a certain point and you know that was taking me too far and then I would go back to this other end of the spectrum and the kind of oscillate between these two extremes of a non-experience and total experience um and um so i would find that that having that as another side of things was very helpful now one thing is that that eckhart's type of teaching you know the presence-based practice has become extremely popular now um lots of different teachers are teaching some variant thereof they have their own kind of system or their own formula around it but basically it's a similar kind of thing where there's just presence and they actually a lot of the teachers you know kind of poo-poo the whole energetic kundalini yoga type experience because they say oh that's just phenomena you're not in uh the divine absolute you know which is what their fixation is Mm. and um It's uh, one thing that's been good for me is that, you know, I've been studying with this teacher, David Sparrow now for going on over 11 years now. And his experience is very much that, you know, the absolute and that type of experience and the non dual Advaita, you know, kind of consider that all kind of one category. Um, That's one, one beautiful aspect of experience, but these Shakti, energetic kundalini type experiences are also uh, uh, Very important in your development and to think the shakti is just some phenomena That is completely divorced from the absolute is a mistake as well
0: So So how could it how could it i'm trying to wrap my mind around that? How could anyone think that the,
1: the two are divorced of each other? That's what I don't understand it, it is very popular now um, amongst a lot of teachers um, of the the presence type practice. The absolute, um, you see, uh, like Adyashanti, Gangaji, the people in the whole Ramana Maharshi lineage, like like Gangaji, um, Papaji, and his other disciples. Um, they all tend to have this uh, this Advaita Vedanta type of non-dual view and so from 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 that perspective you can say that anything that is experiential you know we're experiencing these profound uh highs that we're having these these profound kundalini experiences that that's just from from that perspective that's not in the absolute you're in the realm of experience so um just like a drug trip is um and so having this energy experience, this bliss, this tremendous bliss, however it is, that's just you're experiencing some quality and uh, you're, you're some phenomena. And being that it's a phenomenon, it's not something where you're absorbed in, in the absolute, that your mind is still active. There's, there's subject and object, and you're experiencing something, and you haven't completely dissolved. You're not transcendent. In that sense um, you haven't transcended your mind you're still in in the sense of your experience or having an experience and so but their perspective is uh, uh, kind of the and you can quali- you can term that more traditionally um, as the uh, jnana yoga type experience um, uh, where they're getting beyond their mind or, or maybe even uh, similar to that, the Raji Yoga experience, uh, to some degree, where they're transcending their mind altogether. Um, they're both going to the same place, but um, the Bhakti type experiences of extreme devotion and the related kind of Kundalini experiences, where you're having these tremendous energetic experiences, um, those they would call, say are more in the realm of phenomena, and that. If you like having those blissful experiences, that's great, but know that you're still in phenomenon and you're not in the noumenon, you know, you're not in the absolute. And, um, so I tend to oscillate now back and forth between these types of experiences and kind of non-experiences in a way. Um, and, uh, like I said, my current teacher, David Sparrow, you know, he's very much like those, all those things are relevant that the shakti experiences are completely relevant and it's not like they're divorced from the absolute. They are part and parcel of it in because yeah. the absolute is everything. Right. Um, so these, but, um, there is value, I think in all these different viewpoints, um, that in the Advaita Vedanta tradition, going way back to Shankara, um, that, uh, the original Shankara, <laughs> <laughs> Shankara. Yeah. um, but those types of experiences in the absolute uh, that are completely transcendental are amazing But so are these other experiences where you're absorbed in shakti um, in this divine energy and To divorce one from the other is, It can lead you into kind of some schizophrenic state um, Where now you're seeing all this as not as part of the one part of the experience the you know the overall kind of totality but you're seeing them as one or the other and that can be a mistake um i I think that's a mistake
0: and i I think all of this are different different stops along a road that read lead you back to melting with the one god right they're all different different steps along the road like for example shakti um, from one, what I'm learning, you can use Shakti to activate the pineal gland. And from the pineal gland, then you could connect. Once the pineal gland is activated, then you, you can um, interpret higher frequencies, right? And then mm-hmm. you can do a connection where you open your third eye so that the physical becomes a lot more than, it's, than the, the physical is known, mm-hmm. the average person knows. So it becomes much more, it almost becomes like a, a super being in many regards, right? So that's what Shakti gives you. If you go just the road of um, melting into the divine, which is which is great. I mean, I, I I don't know if I've done it. I did have that one experience where the mind went away and the heart opened up and that, that was incredible. So that might be an aspect of it. That's fun. And, and that feels incredible. But, but the problem with that is the same problem we talked about when it comes to spending a week with your teacher or a day with your teacher and you, and you get energized um, but when you come back to the normal consciousness, the normal reality, over time, it just, it, it dissipates, right? You don't have enough energy to sustain that, right? So to me, the key is building your own energy, right, so that you can sustain it and so that you can create it also. You, do, you don't have to go to the third party. You can tap into the universal energy. And I think the Shakti allows you to open all these energy centers up so that you can, in fact, become a recharged battery that's connected to higher frequencies, right? So to me, I'm thinking out loud, I think I saw the solution of how you keep the energy high. You have to utilize the, the Shakti and the Kundalini to activate the body as a, as a energy that recharges itself. I think that's a problem right now. Everything's not connected. So you come into this world with a certain amount of energy, and that energy is dissipated right? When you become a full battery, when the circuit, circuit is completely tied in, then it's almost like self-generating. You keep that energy up. You, 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 don't, you don't just have access to the, to the essential life force that you're given. You actually pull in life force from, from the universal, right? And that's why, to me, you, you need to, you know, experiencing God and the blissfulness, the presence, is awesome. But when you come back into this world, and to me, What is the purpose of being in this world? Self-actualization is probably the the most important thing, right? But after you become self-actualized, you have two decisions. You melt into the light or you assist others, right? And I think the majority of people will assist others. And you can't assist others unless you can keep your energy up after these wonderful experiences, right? You have to keep that energy up in order to be that light into the world, so that's why the shakti and the kundalini are critical because you have to activate and recharge and you yeah. have to activate the battery, so to speak, the human battery opposing energy from outside. Does that make sense to you? I, th-
1: I think so. I, I think the one. I think the one difference I would say is that um, from their perspective in Advaita teachings, that um, it's not an experience it's not there there's no bliss there that there is just the the non experience of the mind dropping off and you're just completely absorbed to the point where there is no recognition of anything in a way that it's off the game board then you know it's off the uh, game board but but there there is some, there's love there like there's no not not even love not there's you know an it,
0: empty dark it,
1: void. <laughs> It's not empty and dark. It's it's that your the the whole idea is that however you get there, uh, the absolute is this... And it's hard because you start to conceptualize the absolute, and that's not what it's about. But you can't do that. But, yeah. but it's not about bliss. It's not about a feeling. It's that you have completely transcended your mind. And you can't even describe anything because there's no experience anymore. So um it's just and that's what uh, uh you know and that's what you know how my interpretation has changed somewhat since when i was starting with rama where it's all very much about you know uh you know going out uh through uh, my um uh my crown chakra you have this experience going through the, uh, the crown chakra and then now you're in the thousand petal lotus of light and that's the samadhi experience and everything is supercharged and all that stuff and and it's and you're having this experience but it's not really an experience and all this stuff and then there's this completely other aspect to it where there's no experience and that awakening is just really awakening to your own natural state uh, which is not something that is blissful in any way it's just That's your natural state. And um, it's impossible to describe. But when people are talking about awakening, that's generally the perspective. So, when you know, the term enlightenment has this connotation of something super um, to it as well. Um, And then, of course, you know, there's the whole other side of enlightenment, which is more intellectual enlightenment. Um, and you know getting yeah and then you see a lot of the the so called aha moments that people have, and that's kind of the other side of it too, is that you know it's just okay, you had another intellectual uh experience you you've you know you've learned something maybe um or maybe it's shaken your world you know this this type of knowledge, but still it's just another. It's, it's just another experience, just another a bit of knowledge, in other words. So I know that a lot of these things get juxtaposed, and that's part of the problem with the the modern state of things in the spiritual world, I think, is that a lot of these things can get completely confused. And whereas when you study with a teacher, like I did with Rama, that you're in this program and you're just doing this program, uh, doing this, you know, following this script and um and Rama would be Rama, particularly was very uh real about things and you know say no you're you're not getting you're not getting what i'm trying to say you know you may think that you're getting it but you're not you're not on online with what i'm saying at all and so there that's the good thing with having a teacher is they cut through that illusion and and uh you know kind of uh these misunderstandings that you have as a student um is that they, you know There, there, you, it's not just you depend upon some other side of yourself to check yourself. There's another being there that's saying you're the doing it or you're not doing it right, you know? And um, so having that was, was, was good. And I think that people who don't have that, that's one downside is you can definitely uh, mislead yourself, very much so, you know? Whereas when you have a teacher, um and you've you've really pers- gone down that path and you're really following the 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 dictums of the teacher then um at least you have that other being there to check you and uh say you know whether you're really following the path or not whereas you know uh you, we can get all into all these different aspects kind of this kind of mushy gushy Side of spirituality where you're you're dabbling and then oh that's really cool and that's another aha moment or something like that, but that's not what it's about. You're not really transcending yourself, right. um, and getting beyond yourself. You know, you could just be going in loops. And uh, these are just nice intellectualizations to have and nice words to read. And I think there's a lot of that out there too. Um, so it's, it's a difficult thing to, to say, you know, when we're talking about all these different aspects of the spiritual practice, I mean, because I didn't, Rama certainly introduced us, for instance, to, uh, uh, some aspects of jnana yoga, um, and self-inquiry, the neti neti, not this, not that, um, and, uh, not getting stuck in anything and, and, uh, and really going beyond yourself but there was it it was less we were less oriented to that our our primary thing was really kundalini meditation practices um and one way i think i did get misled in in a way you know besides like i think one of rama's things about uh the the whole uh ego gets annihilated as part of the enlightenment process and that's Uh, And and that's the the fundamental criterion that is defining enlightenment is the the annihilation of the ego. Um, The other side of things was that, you know, okay if you if you meet a teacher, one of the criteria that if side, if they are enlightened or not, is that they are emitting in some way this gold light. And so I came out of that, my experience of the Rama with that idea. And that may be a side effect of enlightenment, but you shouldn't be stuck with that as, as you know, uh, some major criteria of, wow, you know, this is somebody I should be studying with. So it's very easy to be taken in by that, that, Oh, this is amazing that this must be the next teacher for me kind of thing. Um, so um the the whole sense of uh you know they are transmitting gold light. You know, it's interesting. I I had experience, you know, when we were studying with uh Shri Shiva, um, and I don't know what what name he's going by these days. Uh is it Dr. Treya Shiva Baba now?
0: Uh Dr. Um Pillai, just using his
1: Dr. Baskaran Pillai, Yeah. Okay. So when Dr. Pillai, uh, you know, when I was on an India trip, I remember, um, and this is one way that I, that I got to know that, you know, it wasn't just that I, you know, I was, it wasn't kind of psychosomatic that when, you know, when I was around Rama or around Shiva, that I was having, uh, this experience of experiencing gold light. I remember on that, one of that first India trip, I think I went on, um, I turned on the TV and there was this old guy on the TV and I could see all this gold light coming out of the TV. And, and then I found out that this was uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the TM, the TM guy. And up to that point, my whole impression of TM was oh, it's a very basic practice, and I heard stories about the Maharishi, and didn't sound like anything like I I was interested in. Didn't sound like a very trans a real transcendental experience to me. It just sounded like you get a mantra and you do this practice over and over, and yeah. But sure enough, I didn't. I had no preconception about this guy I saw on TV, and yet I had this experience. And um, it wasn't that he was my teacher to be. But it did show me that a lot of these people can have that same exhibit, that same uh, aspect to themselves that they can transmit energy. So transmission of energy should not be taken in any way as this as a sign that, Oh, now I've found my teacher. Um, It does imply that they have some level of knowledge. And even Rama told us in one of the tapes that, you know, you can go to India, he said, and you can meet some beings and they can definitely transmit energy and they can uh, be going into some different Samadhi states, but they come back down and they're just nasty people. <laughs> and so uh, don't confuse one for the other that, you know, just because they can, they can do these things. Uh, he described them like one trick ponies, you know, they can go up to Samadhi and come back down and, they can be nasty again. And um, so it's very easy to be taken in by teachers like this. They, they can manipulate energy and you can get manipulated. Right? That can definitely happen. And that's one of the dangers with that side of the path. You know, so, you know, there are dangers on every type of path. So you can get completely diluted in the Advaita Vedanta path, which seems so safe that's the one thing people people in our society like is it's, it can be it's very intellectual it's very understandable it's very logical um you know there're no real logical hang ups with that path so much as opposed to like the bhakti path you know it's it's, it's very emotional and uh, you know uh there are all these traps where you can get sucked up into being worshiping a teacher and getting all caught up in that and so but all these paths, you can see, they all have their traps. Yeah. So the Advaita path has its own set of traps. You can over, get overly intellectual about things, and you can confuse your intellectual realization with a real transcendental realization. Um, just So there are traps there, um, and there are teachers in all different paths who have all different kinds of scandals going on. So... Um, that's one thing I also learned is that, you know, no path is safe per se. So if you're looking for the perfect teacher and the perfect safe path that you'll never get uh, lost in, you probably never find it. So part, I think part of the whole process is that you do get lost. You, you you know, if you never, you know, if you never start on the journey and never start going down the trail because you're afraid that you know you might get bitten by a snake or something like that you'll never go anywhere you'll just stay at home you know where it's nice right. and safe and comfortable so yes you will have there's a very high probability you're going to have some negative experiences on the path you're going to have ups and downs and all kinds of things and you're going to have uh, betrayals and things happen to you and you know and and yeah the then there's the whole thing about different relationships with other people on the path, you know, or your brothers and sisters uh, in there and all kinds of uh, craziness that can go on there too. Um, Even in the so-called safe paths, you know, the Zen type paths and everybody's doing the right thing at the right time. And everybody's being nice to one another. And there's all kinds of little betrayals that can happen in all those paths. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind too, is that, you know, be prepared. It won't always be fairy tale. (laughs) Things won't always work out the way you want to. Generally, they won't. Um, You're going to have a lot of disappointments. So um, if you are looking for a teacher with that as your frame of mind, that you're never going to get taken in and um, you're, uh, you're so grounded that nobody can ever shake you from it, well, chances are you won't have. You probably won't uh, be open enough to have the experience that the teacher is allowing you to have.
0: So okay. I think that's a key point. I think the key point is just like anything else in life, you have to be courageous, right? Yeah. You and have to you be have. Courageous. And once you've experienced um, a higher state of consciousness, I think you will realize. At least I did that it really is the only game in town, right? <laughs> it really is why we're here, to, to become self-actualized, as Maslow said. I mean, that is the ultimate goal. And then to use that knowledge to, to like be a light on, onto others. That, that's the way I, I see like the, the priority, take care of your own house, get that self-actualization and help others. Um, so like I said, there are downfalls just like everything else, but we have to be courageous and we have to have a yearning and a, and a thirst for understanding the totality of ourselves. And mm-hmm. once we have that, there is no other choice than to go down that road no matter what happens. And, there, and when you go down that road, there will be the dark night of the soul. <laughs> you know, everyone's experienced it in different ways. And it's not a pleasant experience, But you have to, but it's just like going down the birth canal, right? You have to go through that trauma to get to the other side. And that's just the way life is. I mean, that's the way it is in this reality. And we have to have that sense of courage, like I said, and excitement and, and a deep down desire within your soul that screams at you, that tells you that there's so much more to this life than you yet realize, and there's so much more to you than you you've yet realized, and to like push into that totality of yourself I, I think i've read that um, humans perceive less than one percent of electromagnetic spectrum right so there's 90 more than 99 percent of reality that we just can't tap into with our physical senses right that's where the emotions come in that's where the gut comes in to help us like feel through the darkness of that but mm-hmm. i think once you open up the pineal gland in your pineal gland allows you to pick up these higher frequencies that 99 percent in and interpret it, and I think once you've done that, and moved into the um, the oneness, and I don't know whether you move into oneness, you do this first, or there there's, there is a order to it, or one or the other. Um, but that that that's where the magic in life. Resides, right? There's a reason that everyone's captivated by like Harry Potter stories, stories <laughs> of wizards, stories of magic, right? Because I think intuitively we yearn for that part of ourselves that is magic, right? And, and once you tap into that, and Hollywood taps into that all the time, right? <laughs> and that's why we go see the movies. And, and, and I'm hoping that when people listen to other people's experiences, that they'll have the courage to at least take the first step down that
1: path and believe and experience that magic really is real. You know, I would say just the other side of that too, to be aware of is, uh, you know, the Harry Potter, the superhero Marvel comic thing, Yeah, you know, part of the problem and, you know, the related stuff in spiritual world sort of, you know, the secret and all this stuff. A lot of it does go down this path of egotism you know, that you know, we have to also always be aware of, and that's, you know, that if it's all about you having experiences or it's all about you, um, uh, achieving things and, that they're, you know, they're, are all these different parts of ourselves and they're all pulling us in different directions. Yeah. And so there are parts of us that, uh, you know, are, are real egomaniacs and, uh, uh, really want, you know, and it, it, it's an interesting thing when you, if you really accurately or try to accurately and calmly self reflect on what you really want in life, it's interesting what you come up with. So if, if you go down this path of um, like uh, you know, it's very popular now with the whole se- the secret and uh, creative visualizations and stuff and s- stuff that we did, you know, in, in uh, Dr. Pillai's program too, um, that you have to be very honest with yourself about what it is you really want when you're doing these things. Because A lot of times you'll find that you say, oh, I'm really on this path for self-transcendence. And what the, the majority of what you're actually doing is just trying to get things you want in the material world. <laughs> and and right. I think a lot of people really go through this and delude themselves about what, what it is they really want. They rationalize themselves, well, oh, no, I need all this stuff and and the, the divine has to give me all this stuff so I can uh, be everything that I am and, and serve humanity in this great way. You know, when really all it is is, you know, yeah, you really just want all these things. And it's it's interesting too that I think if you go into traditional... Spiritual stuff, it's not that they don't, they didn't have all these practices. It's just they didn't recommend them because it tended to be stuff that bound you to your own sense of self and your desires and your aversions and all these things that that your likes and dislikes and just bound you further to that rather than setting your mind free um, and allowing you to transcend yourself. Um, so it's always this really precarious balancing act, you know, what it is you really want. And I think that, you know, that one of the books that really, I, I always come back to is, um, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, I think Krishna's, uh, Krishna's basic dictum, um, that, um, don't get a, don't get attached to the the fruits of your actions um, is extremely important. You know that a lot of times those past lead us exactly into that. You know we're completely attached to to the fruits of that, and that we get depressed when we don't get what we want.
2: That's and
1: true. so, um, to understand that that all that stuff. Is still just part of the divine Leela, the, the divine play that we're just playing here. And we're experiencing all these different aspects of reality. And that it's very important not to get caught in your idea of what you think you deserve, or that you think you have to have, or the divine has to provide you with. And um, unfortunately, a lot of those practices lead you exactly into that into that direction where you, you are trapped. Like, a, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, a bee gets sucked into a, a Venus flytrap, you know, it's found, uh, you know, that's exactly what it wants. And so, but then it, it does bring you back to say, what is it I really wanted? Well, I guess I really did want that material experience, you know, and yeah. I wanted it so bad that I forgot what it is that really hooked me first was this. Idea that I can transcend myself in some way.
0: Um, well, with me, well, the reason I got involved is I thought there was more to life. There was more a way to like be live a bigger life, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot of that had to do with um, accumulating more, seeing more, being more, right? But what I learned going through the process, especially after having those, those high spiritual moments, is that in those is that everything that I need is within me? I still haven't got to the point where I can manifest like at will, but I have this deep sense that that is everything I need is within me. And what I found is once you have that sense, the expectation kind of melts away. You mm-hmm. go, you go along and do what you need to do, or, or do what you feel passionate about or do what you feel moved to do. And there's so much less expectation on what's going to happen because you know, it's all in here. You know, it's all there. Anyway, Mm -hmm. there's nothing to be worried about. There's nothing to, um, there's nothing, there's nothing to worry about is is the bottom line. And and there's a sense that no matter what happens, and it could be bad, sometimes could be good that it, it all plays out in a way that is perfect for you in that time, right? And when you have the, that deep belief in that, it makes things so much easier. It's the expectation sure. that kills you every time, right? Because yeah. this, because you know why? It, when I went to Joe Spindle course, he spent a lot of time like on this, and um, and he had the same experience too. Like after his methodology, so to speak, is to you know, do meditations. And if you want to manifest something, feel as though that's already happened. Mm -hmm. See it has already happened. um, And I guess most importantly, feel as it it is already happening. So in that mindset, in that feeling, in that space, there is no expectation because it's happened, Mm -hmm. right? So by following that route he was able to get rid of expect like expectation at all. Like it didn't exist because in his world, he would just go in and create it. And then he would just leave it and not like think about it. Mm. Right. And I I think in that, and I realized that in my own way, but when he verbalized it, I said, yeah, it's, when you're expecting you're in the future you're not in the mm-hmm. moment you have to live right. in the moment as much as possible you have to do your walking meditation when you're at work or whatever to keep you in that moment you have to do your half an hour in the in the morning maybe half an hour at night to ground yourself keep you in the moment right you have to be in that moment in order to manifest and that's really what we are we're beings that manifest that's what the only reason we're here right we're we're, that's the only thing we can do here, whether really. it on the positive side or on the negative side. You know, I don't like to use labels like that. But if we don't do anything, we're manifesting, right? <laughs> we're manifesting probably things we don't want. So to manifest and move forward in your spiritual practices, you have to be in the moment. And in regards to manifestation, that means no expectation. Feel and see it has it already happened, right? And once you can do that without fear, then I think you've crossed a wide chasm and you're well on your way to being happy in your life more often than not, right? Um, sure. Sure. Ari, we're over two hours into this. <laughs> I just like to say thanks for being on this podcast like i uh, I've got a lot out of it. I think I've worked through some of my own questions that I had in my mind.
1: Um, is there any last like
0: things you'd like to summarize or talk about?
1: Yeah, I know <laughs> one of the things I know we plan to talk about is you know uh uh spirituality for workplace only living yeah um in a way, and I know that uh, we didn't get to touch much on it this time, but um definitely still what keeps me going with this stuff um a lot is um what I learned from Rama in his career success uh orientation um and his that that particular talk particularly um which was part of his enlightenment cycle uh set of tapes at the time and you know it's it's available for download um so if people want to get a different perspective on career as a yoga which i think really is so important in this day and age um i would recommend that they go to the rawmeditationsociety.org website um and look for that enlightenment cycle uh set of talks And that, that talking particularly on career success is a really important one because I think that, um, and I know we, we didn't get, we don't have time to do it justice, but just the thought that, you know, if I'm only spending a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour in the evening or whatever, you know, something analogous to that, um, I, as my so-called spiritual practice, well, then that's only a very small part of your day. Right and what about all the rest of the day when you're spending the 12 hours or whatever in related to working and uh in and uh and doing uh Some very physical tasks and intellectual tasks, you know, how how are you using that? How is that advancing your your consciousness that all that time? um Not just in terms of getting what you want, but you know, you're you're doing your job and uh in a traditional monastic setting All that time is devoted in some way or the majority of that time is devoted to so-called spiritual practices well, how do we turn that that all that time we're spending working into yogic practice into? uh, Practice that advances our mind and helps us transcend ourselves um And uh rama talks a lot about that. Um, and particularly the, the aspect of using computer science particularly and this goes way back before people even knew much about computers. Um, in the early eighties, he was into this stuff even before the Macintosh, uh, and, and how people can use computer science, uh, especially to advance their consciousness and that whole practice of computer programming, computer science, um, as w- at the same, t- while at the same time they're actually making a living and making a pretty good living at it. Um, So um, I think that 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 talk is very, very important to me that keeps me going um, when I start to fall off the path and start to get frustrated by things not working out uh, the way I hope they would. You know, it's it's that treating career as a yoga that you're doing it in the same way that when you're talking with Krishna and karma yoga, that um, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita it talks so much about karma yoga that you are in a way you're you're renouncing every action to the divine you're you're uh you're you're renouncing all the fruits of your actions really and you're just doing things as long as you feel comfortable with with what you're doing then the intention of giving up the results of that action is a very very important concept and it's very hard to keep keep doing it but um the practice of treating your work as yoga and not, not seeing it as completely separate. Oh, I'm not doing my practice. You know, I'm spending so much time, my time on very worldly mundane things. Um, if you live with that idea of this schism between your spiritual, your little teeny spiritual work and this big part of your day gone to, you know, working for the man, <laughs> then you're going to have a very tough time uh, uh, living a spiritual life in the world it's going to be really, really hard, so you have to somehow see your work in the world as your spiritual practice or as part of it for sure that don't think that it's downtime in any way. If you do it's going to be a very tough ride <laughs> i will I will say that for sure and and, and uh, that's a great point. Uh, and that's
0: something that I have like a great challenge with. Um, I, I would love to talk about that like in a lot more detail. So maybe you sure. can come on again at some point. And we can get into that because <laughs> th- that's one, like I said, that I have a challenge with. But I will listen to his um, his audio. So it's Rama Meditation One
1: word, dot org. Uh, I believe it's Rama Meditation Society. They have these talks available okay. as free downloads, free MP three downloads. Um, and so that, that particular talk is one of the talks in the enlightenment cycle series that he has. Okay. Um, another similar talk from much earlier in his, in his, uh, teachings, uh, is in his Lakshmi set of talks, um, called living and working in the world. Uh, another very similar talk. His, his talk on career success, that was about 10 years, came ten, about 10 years after the Lakshmi talks, um, you get a, a, different, a different perspective. It's similar bents uh, as the original, uh, the, the early talk from the Lakshmi series, but um, um, it's, it's definitely a more refined sense after, you know, about, he had about 10 years from that original time talk uh, to work out his, uh, his process, uh, for, you know, using computer science as a way to advance your consciousness, uh, and basically just, uh, uh you know, kind of a, an extension of basic karma yoga where you're working and you, you're renouncing the fruits of your actions, but you're, you're, you are you you do not consider any aspect of your daily life to be divorced from spirituality.
0: And that—that's a great thought to uh, leave with on this on this podcast. Everything you do should be moving you along the road of your spiritual growth, or should, everything you do should be part of your spiritual practice. Absolutely, Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks again, Ari. We'll talk soon, man. Take care. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah, right.
1: Thank you, Justin. Bye.
0: Really appreciate it. Thank Take you. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.